Valley Shepherds exists to equip God's people for effective gospel ministry. Whether you're a pastor, elder, deacon, Sunday school teacher, or church member, our goal is to help you think through the scriptures and apply them faithfully. Valley Shepherds offers a variety of print and digital resources, including articles, Bible study guides, and more. Simply go to valleyshepherds.org to access. You can also access the Valley Shepherds podcast on a variety of streaming platforms, including Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Simply type in Valley Shepherds podcast in to the search bar to access each episode. We release a new episode every week, so don't forget to click the follow button on your favorite streaming platform to receive a notification when a new episode is made available. Finally, you can follow us on social media. On Facebook, go to Valley Shepherds and hit the like button. And on Instagram, go to Valley underscore Shepherds and hit the follow button. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you to the newest episode of the Valley Shepherds podcast. We're your hosts, I'm Will. I'm Jamie. And uh, we are going to take a maybe a lighthearted and even a fun direction with our conversation this morning. Uh, we've been tossing around some different ideas over the last few weeks for what the next few weeks would look like. And as we uh, prepare to dive into maybe some heavier topics in the weeks ahead, we felt like this would be a good sort of deep breath, sort of a, a breathing moment for us. And so what we're going to do is um, we're going to talk about the passages or portions of Scripture that have shaped us uh, maybe throughout life, um, throughout our ministry, our time in ministry. Um, it could be things that, uh, portions of Scripture that were impactful as a teenager or as an adult, or maybe even more specific to pastoral ministry, things like counseling, discipleship, preaching, um, and so I just, it's, it'll be a good back and forth, a good, uh, it just provide good insight. And so I'm excited about the topic that we're going to, we're going to sort of dive into today. Um, as a reminder, you can catch, uh, all the episodes of Valley Shepherds podcasts on, uh, on the different streaming platforms that are available on almost all of them. So, uh, just type in Valley Shepherds podcast and you'll be able to, to, uh, to play catch up a little bit, uh, over the last few weeks and months. And so, um, we're going to dive in, let's dive in. So, Pastor Jamie, yes, he's going to lead us off. <laughs> lead y'all. All right. um, <laughs> I have a question in my head, but let's just let's just start. What what's a formative <laughs> passage? How did you break this this topic down? Yeah, right. So it's kind of interesting uh, when we uh, we kind of decided on doing this, we broke this down differently, and uh, Will mm-hmm. went more with a categorical, and I went more with a chronological, and uh, so that's uh there's beauty in the diversity of this whole thing as yeah, well. So sure. I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought of, of a journey here. And, you know, so I have a, a passage that has shaped me or two that shaped me growing up. Um, my mom led me to Christ in my bedroom, uh, which was in a parsonage uh, next to Grace Bible Church in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, she came up and she read and explained Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And uh, there was a picture that was up in my room of Jesus who is standing outside of a door that did not have a door handle on it. And uh, so she explained to me what Jesus had done for me and that if I would like to uh, be forgiven of sins and um, enter someday into to heaven, have a relationship with God that... Uh, wouldn't end, um, that, uh, that I needed to open the door of my heart 
and allow Jesus to come in, clean me up, and help me. So that was kind of the beginning. So that was a shaping verse for me. I still actually carry a small image of that verse, of that picture, in my wallet. I still have it. Um, so just as a reminder of this is how I came to know Christ. That's pretty great. Yeah. So, and then another another verse of my childhood and is James four seventeen, which uh, Revelation three twenty was very instrumental in me uh, kind of coming to know the Lord. But four seventeen was a part of my growing in Christ. Um, so, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And this verse really shaped my my heart. Uh, growing up of uh, really uh, trying to stay and grow in holiness. And I would never have said that as a kid, but, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it shaped my uh, right and wrong um, conscience um, as, uh, as well. So those are two from childhood. <laughs> Interesting. So we grew up We grew up very differently. Um, I didn't grow up really in a Christian home in, in the maybe the same sense that you would, you would describe it. Um, I remember going to different churches throughout my teenage years and Sort of in and out, back and forth, mostly because my my mom at that point was sort of leading the spiritual charge, um, and so it wasn't until I was almost seventeen that I came to faith in Christ. I want to say it was kicking and screaming. It, it maybe to some degree it was, but I was I was at a basketball camp um, because at that point in my life the only thing that mattered were, was sports and girls. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot else I cared about, um, and so I went to this this basketball camp sponsored by a, like a local Calvary Chapel and. Um, you know, in the morning and the afternoon, you'd have your basketball camp activities. And then in the evening after dinner, you would do worship and sort of like a youth camp setup. Right. And um, for most of the week, he was preaching through the I am statements. And uh, I was just, in a, you know, not attentive to what was going on, not really paying attention to any of the messages. And then uh, he got to John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that spurred a ton of questions in my brain about, you know, I grew up in New York City, so and in New Jersey. And so there, there was just a lot of diversity, a lot of uh, cultural religious diversity in friends that I had. And so I had Muslim friends and Buddhist friends and atheist friends. And, you know, for him to make the claim that, you know, the exclusivity of Jesus was something that just, well, what do you mean? Help me understand. Right. And so he, he taught and preached. And I think I spent two hours after that in his office, sort of peppering him with questions about, well, what about this? And what about that? And, I think his patience with me ran out pretty pretty quickly. And uh, so at one point I remember him saying, look, you have all the information you need to know. And he, he maybe for the last time in his mind sort of proclaimed the gospel, right, that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And um, at that point there was something that clicked, something that clicked in my head and my heart. And uh, I remember distinctly praying that in, in this sort of basic way that, you know, I, I need salvation. I, I recognize my need. Um, and so John 14, 6, as a, not, not so much as a child, but as a late teenage, you know, my late teenage years was, uh, was formative for me. I also have a New King James, like a little pocket Bible with a folding flap, a blue one. It's been through a wash, like the actual wash cycle, like five or six times. Um, but I still have it at the house and it's puffy from like being waterlogged. Um, but in that, I have on the front inside cover uh, the date that I trusted Christ with John fourteen six in my own handwriting, and um, yeah, I, I refer to it a lot just in my own head that you know Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. There's there's things that we only find find out about God 
in Christ. God has revealed himself in his son. And so for me as a 16, almost 17-year-old trying to make sense of life and those kinds of things, that that verse was what sort of brought me from death to life. So, yeah, that, that's interesting, the disparity between. Uh, that's good, yeah. So my teenage years um, – I think uh, when I when I think of a verse that shaped me as a as a young man, right, going into college, um, I, I had uh, insecurities like like many teenagers do. But my insecurities were: uh, what am I going to do with my life? Um, who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? Right, um, and a lot of questions. Um, uh, you know, am I going to be able to do what God is calling me to do? Am I going to be prepared to be the man that God is, is calling me to be. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, very well-known passage, was something that helped me. I feel like I had to, to say that uh, regularly during my teenage years. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Uh, when I was 15, I felt the Lord calling me to full-time vocational ministry. Didn't exactly know where I was going to go. Still prayed and trusted in this verse. And as I served the Lord, uh, the pathway became clear, and I ended up going to Baptist Bible College. And towards the end of my college life, at the end of uh, my uh, transfer to Liberty University, halfway through, uh, and towards the end of that experience and the beginning of my first ministry assignment, uh, I really, um, man, I really uh, I, I had some, kind of the, the fulfillment of that, and then I met my wife and and began my journey with the Lord. Um, a verse that another verse that really shaped some of my uh, my heart was Psalm thirty seven four and five, which is a, a hopeful verse. My dad uh, beat this into me again and again. He would quote this almost every conversation that we had when I was in college, calling home, or towards the end when I was looking for um, the opportunity to serve the Lord full time. He would say, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him." And he will act. And I love that because, uh, you know, um, taking pleasure in God first, it will shape your heart's desires. And, and he will ultimately be the one that that satiates that desire after he's refined it in your heart. And so those, um, I don't know, those two verses were pretty instrumental as a young man in high school and college for me. Yeah, I, I, I remember going to college for something completely other than, you know, ministry. I went in as a, a a journalism major, a communications major, wanting to be a, a sports broadcaster, right? And, you know, it's funny how you look back on some of those things and you, you see how the Lord had different plans and sort of reroutes your steps, right? And um, I don't, interestingly enough, I don't recall at you know going to Liberty having this this moment where a specific passage or portion of Scripture really stood out to me or guided my steps. But I do remember sitting in sort of like a theology one class, intro to theology, that kind of thing. And um, sitting there just being enamored with how the professor was able to explain the scriptures in a very simple, sort of easy to understand way. And um, that that sort of began my journey from communications, right, broadcast journalism to initially youth ministry. And I thought, well, this is sort of the entryway, I think. I, I didn't really have any a whole lot of guidance at that point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went from youth ministry to biblical studies. And I think it was there that I found my, wow, I love the scriptures. I love to 
how the scriptures are taught by guys who know how to teach them. And um, I sort of, that sort of set me on a path uh, towards ministry at that point. And it was probably within a year or two after that that I felt a really strong pull to make vocational ministry a, a career path. You know, we, we talk about a call to ministry. That was probably the closest thing that I had to an epiphany moment that, hey, this is what the Lord wants you to do. And so I don't, I don't know that there was a specific verse. I think it was just an accumulation of circumstances that sort of led me there. Yeah. Um, I'm sure if I sat down and thought about it hard enough, I could pick out a, an idea or two that struck me. But it was more the professors that I had that I think were influential yeah. um, in explaining those. Um, I had a, you know, a Dr. Purser who taught, per, you know, philosophy and, you know, Dr. Smith who taught, almost, I took almost all of my Bible classes with him. And uh, even now thinking back, I have really fond memories of how the Lord used them to shape my right. my heart and shape my understanding of the scriptures and really, really cultivate a desire in me to want to, to do this. And yeah. so... Um, it's just I, I'm I'm finding some of the, the the uniqueness of our stories pretty fascinating, you know, yeah. because sometimes I think we we often feel like our stories, our testimonies are maybe inadequate in comparison to someone else's. Maybe right. they're you know I've heard people say, well, my testimony's so boring, and you know it's not as exciting as someone else's. But I just think it speaks to the way the Lord works uniquely in each of our lives to draw us to Him. Yeah. That the way He works with one is maybe not the same way He works with another. Yeah. But both are equally uh, important and e- have their equal place, you know, in at God's table and in God's kingdom, you know. And so, I'm I'm just rambling at the moment, but I, I'm I'm <laughs> loving just the initial yeah. part of the discussion. So keep going, man. Keep yeah, going. Right. I'm, so, I'm interested. Yeah. So like you know, your journey. There is some similarities. Uh, I I started out in youth ministry, and my burden for families grew uh, to want to do family ministry mm-hmm. and not just youth ministry. And so I sought out more of associate roles with family ministry. The, the, the family ministry grew into a heart of discipleship yeah. for the church. And, and eventually that grew to a burden for the whole of the church, not just one or two areas. Uh, and so, so my, my call, um, really you say increased over the years not everybody's works that way i get that um but that's the way it was for me you know you talk about youth ministry being the entryway and really that was the case for me i did begin in youth ministry and some people begin in youth ministry and that's where they are and they still are there you know decades later and that's fine that just wasn't my experience Uh, god grew something in me refined perhaps a burden um for the church as a whole and then, anyway, so I began to, to yearn for hunger for pastoring yeah. the church as a whole and preaching to the church as a whole and not just a, a smaller group. But it didn't really take me long before I was out in full-time ministry, and this is a long time ago, 2001, I started my journey in full-time ministry at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church in, um, in North Durham, uh, North Carolina. And uh, anyway, so I started out and I, I got into it, man, I was just a hundred miles an hour all of the time, right? Just so focused on ministry and missions and outreach and teenagers. And I was probably doing seven days a week, which I shouldn't have been, uh, and just going full force. And I went, I went like that for about three or four years, right? And then I got to a point where I started to feel like a little bit empty, like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm starting to see and sense that 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 my energies are not enough, right? And I was I wasn't. It's not that I wasn't dependent on the Lord. It was just that I had so much zeal, 
and uh, kind of came to a point where it was like, okay, my zeal has limits and the knowledge that I had thought I had, I really don't have. Um, and so there's a verse that really came into my my life, First Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, uh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and uh, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last part of this in, uh, in verse 24 says, He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And that, that verse really, it still means a lot to me because of the time that it came to me where I was feeling very low, very empty, and, and it reminded me that it is God who called you to do this. He's going to be the one that is faithful, right? Um, he's going to be the one to execute this in your life, this calling of yours. And so, yes, I have a responsibility to uh, to obey and to surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and to do what God has called me as a husband, father, and as a pastor, right? So that's essential. But that, uh, but that took the, the burden off of me in some ways to say, yeah. man, he called me. He's faithful. Yeah. He's going to do this. So that was instrumental in my life. I mean, I don't know if you can recall a time um, earlier on where, you know, maybe there's a verse or two that, that, that meant that to you. But for me, that was just, there was a freedom there, a burden that was lifted. And after that point, I actually went back into school and, uh, you know, embraced uh, part-time school and full-time ministry for probably the next uh, 12 years. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. So that verse was a hinge in my life. Yeah. Th- so there's some actual overlap between uh, where Jamie's journey took him and where my journey took me. Um, I started a little later uh, in, in ministry. It wasn't until 2010, somewhere in there. Um, you know, the older you get, the less you remember, <laughs> at least for me. And so um, there was a point at which uh, I was attending, my wife and I, my family and I, we were attending a church uh, in Lynchburg. And, uh, you know, Jamie was the uh, minister of students working with with youth, middle school, high school, and their families. And um, he mentioned that, that sense of calling to uh, towards a senior pastorate. And I was sort of took over once he left. Um and I remember experiencing some of the similar things you mentioned about, you know, the energy, the zeal, the, the feeling like you need to be not just giving it your, your all in terms of like your devotion, but giving it your all in terms of your time, right? Seven days a week, always on call, you know, dropping everything at the, you know, at a, at a moment's notice to, to give yourself to the church. And it's, it's, it wasn't sustainable long term. It really wasn't even sustainable for more than a few weeks at a time, you know, and so <clears> – <throat> I think what that what that reminded me of is that you're right. Ministry is not something that we do in our own strength. Even the gifts that we have have been God graced, right? He gives them to us and He grows them in us. Um, but it's our responsibility to steward them well and to trust Him with them to use them accordingly. Um, I think a, a verse that was maybe transformational for me, just in the way I thought about ministry, the way that I uh, maybe even began to practice ministry, was First Timothy one. Uh, 12 through 17, and uh, it, it was the, the verse, the passage of Scripture that I preached at my ordination service. Um, and it, it really is just Paul's ex- expression of almost this deep gratitude that the Lord would call him out of a former way of life into his kingdom service, right? And so he says uh, in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, 
who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, right? Deserving full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And he goes on to sort of offer this dox- this doxology of praise at the end of it. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. And uh, I, <clears throat> I say that was transformational for me because I had to sort of remember where I came from. Which, in a in a very real sense, was nothing. <laughs> I didn't have, uh, you know, you go back in my family tree, and there's I don't come from a lineage of you know, good spiritual stock in that sense. I, right. I'm not you know, a, a, a pastor in a line of pastors. I'm not. There was really no spiritual life. The further you go back, the further you get away from the Lord. And so, um, for the Lord to call me first out of my sin into His kingdom, but then also to call me into His service was. I think a, a, a moment that I needed, that fork in the road moment I needed that changed the way that I looked at ministry as a whole right. to say there is nothing that I bring to the table in this. And yet in the Lord and his grace and in his mercy and in his kindness has has called and equipped and now is, is using me. Right. Um, it did bring out this humility that was probably lacking early on in, in my ministry life. Um, even now ongoing, you know, First Peter 5 um, you know, charges the elders among the flock, right, to to serve and to 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 minister in this in this way that's gentle, not not compulsory, right? This not lording over your ministry. There, there's still this example of Christ that we follow, and so I, I think for me, pastoral ministry over the years has has really been this exercise in the Lord. Um, working out the pride in my own heart, <laughs> so that I can I can serve you know His people. Right. Um, in, in humility as, as best I can right. and with this mindset that really it's not about me. It's not about a platform that I create or develop. It's about pointing to the Lord Jesus who is the one who has made all of this possible and whose hope it, whose whose hope is our, right? Our faith is built on the hope to right. come, yeah. you know? So those are just my thoughts there. No, those um, are good thoughts, man. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when, when I think about... Um, uh, as as I progressed as a young path uh, young pastor, I found myself serving in several different roles. You know, you mentioned Lynchburg, mm-hmm. and um, so I left Lynchburg and went to uh, the large metropolis of Greenville, mm-hmm. Virginia, <laughs> which is about twenty minutes from here. Uh, and it's <laughs> it's very rural, uh, small uh, white chapel on a hill. And uh, then you left to go to New Jersey, New Jersey, and you were in a church that was a kind of a smaller church. Very and small church, yeah. and uh, so we had some single staff pastor. We were both serving in those capacities, and yep. um, you know, I had uh, on a on a good Sunday, I had about seventy people, right? Um, sometimes more, sometimes less, but um, and then we had a prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, and I had about six people. Uh, seven people yep. uh, faithfully prayed for folks, dug through the scriptures, and I did that for about four and a half years. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, during that time period, um, I had grand dreams and aspirations and tons of zeal and all of this stuff, you know, fresh off my, my MDiv, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I had to come to the, the conclusion and the reality that there was incredible gospel ministry for me to do in my church and in the community that God's called me to, but that he needed to define what that was. Uh, and I needed to be content with the yeah. work that was in front of me. You know, you might, you might even use the illustration of, 
um, a farmer who has uh, 40 acres, right? And his neighbors might have more, uh, might be growing in different types of crops that he doesn't grow or can't grow. And right. so, to, but just this idea of contentment, um, that was sometimes a hard thing for me um, because this church was very different than the ones that I've served before. Um, very loving people, um, uh, helpful to me and my family, incredibly supportive. Um, my kids had tons of grandparents, you know, and so there were some good things. But Philippians chapter 4, 12 through uh, 13, um, really meant something to me. Uh, not necessarily the way that uh, it's culturally interpreted, but um, uh, verse 12 says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances I have circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, so that verse that I can do all things through him who strengthens me for me, um, that was, that was about contentment. I mean, I think that's what the passage is about. Um, but before I had read that about competence, so, and not contentment, but it's not about personal competence or achievement. Right. It's really in this context of joy and contentment that I can be content with the, the, the church that God has blessed me with, with the community that it's set within. I can be content in Christ right. alone, right? But when I get out of that in my flesh, I, I, I find um, all kinds of dangers and problems. And, and so anyway, so it, that was um, that verse was a, a refining uh, moment in my pastoral ministry and uh, the cadence of, you know, four and a half years of preaching and visiting and shepherding and doing weddings and funerals and being a presence in the community is something that um, that I truly treasure now. Yeah. I see it as an incredible step in my personal journey with the Lord. Yeah, that's good, man. You know, you mentioned going from Lynchburg to... Now, Greenville's not a metropolis, but it is picturesque. <laughs> I was trying to find the adjective to describe, <laughs> to describe, you know, for the listeners that are in the Shenandoah Valley, you know where Greenville is, but for those who don't, it is... It's like nestled along the mountains, and it, it's beautiful. I mean, but if you're driving down 81, you're going to pass it in about four seconds. You're just going to blow through it <laughs> yeah, if you right. blink. So, That's true. So we he went to, to Greenville. I went up to New Jersey, and um, I, I'll, I, I want to be gentle in how I talk about this this part of my ministry life because it was an, it was a crucible for my, me and my family. Um, it was difficult. It was uh, heart wrenching at times. It was. It was probably the most difficult spiritual season that I had been in. Not just that time that we were there, but even the immediate leaving that place to find healing and rest um, was really hard for us. Um, but as I sort of reflect now, you know, when you're in the midst of, of trials and fire, it's it's hard to have a healthy perspective. And it's sort of when you come through that that you can reflect on it and not just not just recognize it for what it was, but also see some of the lessons you learned. Uh, through that time, and I think what what the Lord was teaching me through it was uh, may, maybe twofold, um, and a lot of it had to do with preaching and and sort of how I used my my words to sort of guide and lead the directions I could, I could move people with my words. Um, so for me, in, in terms of preaching, um, I think it was a season where I learned how to. Hunker down into the word themselves, in, into the word itself, right? So, Second Timothy four one through five, I solemnly charge in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, preach the word, yeah. be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience yeah. and instruction. And it was never, it's never been the opening part of that verse that's been 
the struggle. I'm convinced and convicted about the need for pastors and preachers to to dig into the word and dig deep. It's the latter part. (laughs) It's that with great patience and instruction that that's that season in New Jersey was the Lord working that part of me out. Right. Right. And so I combine that with the entirety of James three, not just the, not many of you should become teachers, right? Lest you incur a stricter judgment, but the, the entire instruction about the tongue being a, a, a flaming fire and a, you know, like a, a bit in a, in a horse's mouth that directs and a, and a rudder that directs a large ship, right? Where, as we were going through difficult things, the Lord was working some temperance in me <laughs> to say, in your flesh, you want to retaliate, you want to react, you want to speak, you want to, you know, correct or, or maybe overcorrect in certain ways. Um, but trust me, he who began a good work is faithful to bring it to completion. I'm, I'm working, I'm still here. And that really set, set the tone for how I interacted um, and how, how I navigated what, when I tell you it was a difficult season, um, it was, it was hard. It was when we left that place. There were there were moments where I would sit in my car after a day at work and think, I think I'm like washed up. I'm 33, 32, 33, going on 34 years old. I'm washed up in ministry. Like, what's next? I I, I just didn't have a pathway forward, or felt like I didn't. And so there was there were moments of where I alternated between concern and despair, hope and like doubt, and I went through this wide range of emotions. Um, and in that, the Lord was still gently, quietly yeah. nudging and speaking. And so those were things that yeah. that have been helpful. Um, even now, beyond that season, I'm, I'm grateful for wh- how the Lord has worked. And we're, I mean, me and my family are blessed to be where we are. Um, even now, when I when I preach and speak, I want to preach the Word, but I also I have this rule. And this is a personal rule. You can take, take it for what it is, and you can chew on the meat, spit out the bones. But I have this rule of thumb when I preach or when I teach or when I counsel that I think it's important for for pastors to be prophetic, and so there are times where we have to wade into controversial things, uh, topics, ideas, passages. We we shouldn't shrink back from that, but I think we should also be mindful and apprehensive about being provocative, right? Controversy is you know sort of the offense of the gospel, the the scandal of 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 the gospel. There are things that, as preachers of the word you know, shepherds in, in ministry that we are naturally going to have to confront and deal with. Mm-hmm. That's the controversy of it. But I'm, I'm very careful. I try to be very careful to not be provocative to where I, I stigmatize one group over another or show partiality to one group over another or just get on a soapbox and just start ranting and raving because, well, I need to vent and I have the platform to do it. Um, and I think there's a lot of that that goes on. And, and I, I don't mean it as a uh, a overly corrective, you know, tone here. As much as I'm, I'm wanting to exhort, you know, the shepherds that are listening, the Sunday school teachers that are listening, that to really dig into the Word. The Word is the ultimately directs not just our steps, but it directs our tongue, yeah. and the wisdom that we need to be able to proclaim the truth faithfully and accurately, and to represent God as as best we can is something that that the Lord has been teaching me and. and really been working out in me so that when I get up in front of a group, there's yes, temperance, but there's also some faithfulness attached to it, you know? So, yeah, right. I mean, I think, you know, God has given us um, a, a platform to be able to share uh, the word, to be able to uh, proclaim the gospel. And when that platform becomes about something else or becomes about us, uh, it won't be long before that platform is uh, eroded yeah, and there's sure. nothing to stand on. 
And uh, so sure. I, I think that's, uh, you know, what, when I think about some um, uh, the uh, sort of the, the mantra that I feel like I'm living for uh, right now, um, you know, you've already mentioned First Peter 5, mm-hmm. 1 through 5. Um, that is actually one of the verses that guides me regularly right now about what it means to shepherd the flock yeah. of God, having the right heart of humility, yeah, that's right. uh, you know, not doing this because I have to do this. Uh, as it says there, uh, it says don't exercise uh, authority uh, under compulsion, but willingly. Yeah. So like e- even the phrase of, man, I have to do this versus I get, get to, to do, do this. this. Yeah, that's right. You know, that that is such a, a big thing, but also to realize that you know that there is a, a finish line someday, mm-hmm. um, and and you and I both know uh, pastors who um, they're you know sixty five, seventy, seventy five, whatever it might be, and at some point their energies are depleted and they can't serve in the same capacity, the same way, and so some will step back, some will uh, step away, uh, or or change a course, or just do things a little bit differently. But really, that idea where it, it talks about uh, in verse four of First Peter chapter five, it says, "And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown, uh, crown of glory." And so, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't lie to you and tell you that there aren't seasons where that's something that motivates me. Yeah. And I think about serving the Lord, serving uh, my chief shepherd, and and then having a point where, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, yeah, and. For sure. You know, we're given that crown, and we give that back to him, obviously. But that's a really important verse to me, that section of verses. So it's kind of yeah. cool we both have that. Uh, another one that's really guided me is John seventeen four. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, and and uh, so. But one of the, the the things that Jesus says is he says he's speaking to the Father. He says, "I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do," and. I love that, right? I love that. And, and uh, you know, we obviously don't have the same mission of Jesus of laying down our life on a cross. It wouldn't matter because he's the son of God and the perfect son of God and we are human, right? But we still have been given a charge. We've been given a task. We've been given a, a call to share the gospel, to make disciples, and to shepherd the flock of God among us, right? That's yeah, our call. But there's also a uniqueness to that call. We've, we've mentioned the uniqueness of our stories, but there's also a uniqueness of the expression of the call to pastor and to shepherd and to lead. Mm-hmm. Because I am different and you are different, right? right? And even right. though First Timothy chapter 3, we both have a desire to uh, to lead the church. We both have the what we would say is the character qualifications that, um, that we don't do perfectly, um, but uh, to the extent that there is, um, it is recognized by a local congregation, right. uh, Wayne Hills Baptist Church, calling us and saying, "Okay, uh, you all uh, have demonstrate these uh, these qualities. We affirm your desire, your calling, and uh, you have a place to serve." So all of that stuff's important, but it's all about the uniqueness of that call. Yeah. And so I, I love that um, in in verse uh, in verse four in the middle part, or, or it says. Um, the work that you have given me to do, right? So we're both shepherding at the same place. We're right. both teaching. We're both uh, preaching. We're both meeting with people, helping them grow in their faith. And yet my field is a little different than your field, right? right? Yeah, for sure. And so that that helps me, that verse. And so the sort of the mantra that I've, I've, I have as a life motto um, is my life for God's glory and the good of others. Mm. And the others is general, but the others really has to do with 
those primary relationships of family and church, um, but also with the mindset of family and church are set within a community that is lost, that is spiritually blind, uh, that needs the the gospel. So um, that has helped guide me um, for a long time. But right now, that is sort of an ongoing verse that's in my head, and the and the application. Man, oh, I love it's, it. It's my life for God's glory. I love it. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned John seventeen. I'm not going to mention John seventeen. I'm going to mention the other bookend, John thirteen. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that that section, right, the upper room discourse, the uh, you know, the farewell discourse, however you want to look at it, yeah. um, is bookended to start John thirteen and ended at John seventeen. And here, here recently, I would say probably the last season of ministry for me, um, John 13, 1, just the first verse, has been foundational, if we want to look at it that way. Uh, for me, it says, uh, John 13, 1 says, Now before the Feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's good. I was... I was I've been reflecting on that verse for a while now, for months, meditating mostly on John 13 as a whole. But I, I, I've come to understand verse 13 or chapter 13, verse 1, as sort of John's eulogy of Jesus' life. That in that one verse, Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them to the end, summarizes the, the fullness of who Christ is, what Christ did. And it forces me, it's forced me in a sense to go back into the Gospels to say, okay, if John can summarize Jesus' life in this one way, that he loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, how did he do that? And it's amazing how often we see Jesus sitting with people, how often we see Jesus eating and drinking with people, how often we see him, when when he looks upon people, he has compassion on them, he loves them, he cares for them. And that that is transformative because when we get to the the, the climax of Jesus' life, which is the, the death, burial, and resurrection, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the, the cross can be understood as like the natural result of a life lived out of love, right? right? That it, there was no other option because, well, Jesus was devoted to loving others, right? And so for me as a, as a pastor, that's been that's been transformative because it's, we all go through tough stuff. We all have difficult people in our church. We're difficult from time to time, you know, as as humans. All of us are. And there's a push and pull in every relationship that we have, right? And there's going to come a point for all of us where either the people we love or we ourselves show ourselves to be less than perfect, right? And so how do we engage and how do we minister? How do we shepherd uh, faithfully but also in in a way that reflects the love of Christ? And I think what it what it forces us to do is to at least spend time with them. Jesus loved people because he spent time with them. Yeah, he had right. compassion on them because he knew them. He yeah. he he was able to to show his love because he cared for them, right? And and we can't do that from a distance. We have to do that from maybe inside the sheep pen, right? The sheep know my voice and they hear me. Why? Because well, I'm the good shepherd. Not just the one who directs traffic, but ultimately the one who lays down his life for the sheep. And so I, I, I do see some parallels between John 17 and John 13 to say that for us as shepherds, we have maybe the most unique opportunity out of all the vocations in the world to demonstrate the love of God directly and very specifically and very carefully to those who need it, yeah. both within our context, in our local church, but then also 
because the the instruction is to love our neighbor and even to love our enemies and those who persecute us, that we, by extension, demonstrate that same that same Christ-like love to them. I don't know another another profession, another vocation that that has that scope, that that sort of magnified uh, element to it. You know, you can go to an office and you can you can demonstrate love. For sure. And you yeah. can, all the professions, you know, we can honor Christ in what we do. But there's something unique about shepherding that's entirely sacrificial <laughs> and that's counter to the flesh that we all have, right? That that sort of rears up, at, at, you know, from time to time. And so John 13, not just the foot washing, not just the sacrificial servant nature of leadership, but just the the eulogy of at the end of my life, if someone were to write, you know, a, a, a eulogy for me, I would want it to be reflective that he loved to the end to say, okay, my life would mirror and reflect the, the life and the love that Christ has had that's on demonstration for us. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Uh, I wrote that down in my notes there for John 13, 1 and John 17, 4. Um, so, you know, I we, I would encourage you to reflect upon your own journey. Reflect upon yeah. it. There is so much good that comes from that. And as you think through seasons or categories, um, you know, come up with some verses that God has put in your life at certain times, and maybe they came through certain people, through through certain uh, messages or sermons from certain pastors. Um, man, think about that stuff. It's so fruitful to do so. Yeah, uh, sure. So so we come to the end. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> We, you know, this this is your idea, so you're going to start. I know. This I don't have any. I don't have. Uh, I have a yeah. blank space in my oh, notes. No, right. <laughs> so the nugget of truth, right? Oh man, look at that. So, um, so you want to go first? You want me to go? Go? No, I, I can. I can. Oh, I can go first. So, so I, I said to, to Jamie at the start. Hey, man, at the end, let's just offer one nugget of advice, or maybe you know, if someone were to ask us what it would be, you know, what would we say? Except that I have this huge blank space. Uh. <laughs> Where I should have an idea, um, I guess if I had to, if I had to offer one, one bit of advice, let's say for a, a, a someone studying for ministry or wanting to go in, you know, just into a new pastor at that kind of thing, it would be do your best to not become imbalanced. And what I mean by that is not just so much in your time, but also in 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 the way that you function within ministry. So I, I know guys who. Have commented, you know, uh, if if my ideal ministry role would be to preach on a Sunday morning, step out of the pulpit, go to my car, and go home, who then spend their weeks behind an office door with their nose in the books, and 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 trust me, study has a place in in the life of a pastor. We need to devote ourselves to the to the word and to prayer for sure. I'm not dismissing that, but I think there's also something to be said, you know, that feeding the sheep is not just pulpit ministry. That tending to sheep is caring for them, is to to be where they're at, to spend time with them, uh, to love on them, to get to know them. Yeah. You know, we want to pray for them, but we can pray more specifically when we hear their their prayer needs, when we know their lives. And so from from that end, I would say if you're going to jump in, yes, prioritize the Word, but be sure that you're giving equal time uh, to, to, to being with those folks that the Lord has entrusted you with. Um, for a seasoned pastor, this is a lot harder, I think, as far as advice goes. Um, but I, I would say just remember remember your calling. Um, it's easy to get to feel overwhelmed and to feel swamped by all the things. And in, in a COVID season, with all the things and all the decisions that we've all had to make and adjustments that we've had to make, remember the sureness of your calling. Right. 
that we we minister as faithful stewards of those entrusted with the gospel and that compels us in our preaching that compels us in our in our ministry right in our discipleship that compels us in our decision making that ultimately as we navigate those waters that the goal is not just to glorify the lord but to really expand the kingdom and so yeah. as we as we prioritize those decisions as we have to make them what allows us to best proclaim the good news uh, to the most people in the most effective way possible. So that's my non-note, not non-noted <laughs> ministry advice nugget, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> that was that was that was kind of like a twenty piece. Nugget. Oh man, in it's one, true. One, one package. So I like twenty piece nuggets. <laughs> those are good. You're making me hungry. Um, so m- mine is uh, four and a half words. Okay, because there's a contraction in there. Oh, yeah, okay. right. So it's not about you. Yeah, it's good. not about you. I think that every season of ministry, I had to be reminded of this, that it's it's not about me. It's not, you know, so to be able to say that and to confess that regularly, yeah. uh, you know, to add on to that, it's not about you. It's not about you and your glory. It's about God and his glory, right? That's right. It's about God and his glory as revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what it is about. That's what our, our ministry is to be about. And that doesn't ever go away and uh, gets sometimes clouded. Um, we sometimes have a hard time seeing that. Maybe uh, programs or, or events or life uh, or culture sometimes cloud out that or, or confuse us into thinking that it is about us right. or that it is as much about us as it is about God, also a lie. It's about Him. It's about His glory. Right. It's about Jesus. It's about His church. And so we can't. We can't lose sight of that. You know, we have to pay attention to what God is doing. Get out of the way, right? We have to individually see where somebody is at, see where God is working in their life and help them take the next step, whatever that might be. That's right. Uh, And then, uh, you know, overall in our ministries, we're always looking as to see where is God working? You know, what what is God doing? Uh, You know, we, we are to plant seeds of the gospel all of the time, individually and also in church. And, um, you know, sometimes those those seeds grow in certain places and certain ministries, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they don't yet, and we get to revisit that. But just paying attention to where God is working and getting on board, uh, that's that's sort of a... Uh, of a, a Blackaby insight from uh, from some of their some of their work, but um, I think that's what I would say. It's not about you, and look where God is working. Help individuals and your church grow in those areas. I love it. Okay, there you go. I think we covered all the all the all the things. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that was awesome. This is a this was a good this was a good uh, good time. So we we hope as always that this was edifying for you. Um, again, if you have questions, you can always uh, email me will at whbc.net. Comments, can, anything that really comes to mind, we'd love to hear from you. Um, next week, we'll dive into uh, a new new topic that will carry us for a couple of episodes. We're still working out the details on some of that, but um, you can rest assured that we are excited for what's ahead. We will talk to you soon, and uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys later. <laughs>